Good Tuesday morning and welcome to Connect, the California MBA's weekly podcast featuring one-on-one interviews with movers and shakers in the mortgage industry. Hope everyone had a uh, relaxing and uh, uh, fun weekend with family and friends celebrating the 4th of July and uh, back to uh, back to work now, ready to get uh, started on the week ahead. Uh, it's a new month for us here at Connect. It's July. We're going to start uh, talking about uh, litigation and legal issues this month with some of the uh, top attorneys in the industry. So I hope you're uh, I hope you're ready for some uh, interesting conversations on those topics. But before we get into that and introduce today's guest, let's uh, thank our sponsors first over at Incelerate. So Incelerate helps lenders close more loans through better borrower engagement. The mortgage industry's most innovative customer experience platform delivers lead management, sales enablement, engagement, robust mortgage-specific content library, and data intelligence all in one comprehensive and highly scalable platform. Incelerate delivers dynamic technology, strategy, and content for every channel of your business to ensure engagement throughout the customer journey, whether it be with your borrowers, referral partners, or any other party to the loan transaction. The dynamic enterprise solution seamlessly fits into your existing tech stack, whether that's phone integration, POS, LOS, servicing system, or data enrichment, due to their advanced API connectivity, modern design, and open architecture. So gone are the days of managing multiple systems, and separate systems like your CRM, your marketing, automation, lead management, and having your data trapped in those silos. The innovative platform at at Incelerate allows you to provide your internal and external customers timely, relevant information based on data intelligence to build repeatable outcomes at each stage of the customer's journey. So the bottom line, close more loans, improve borrower conversations, enhance customer retention, transform your customer acquisition lifestyle, and create customers for life. And as we always say, make sure and follow Josh Friend on uh, LinkedIn. He actually just had a, uh, a little uh, uh, conversation he did with Michael Hammond last week on uh, building, uh, creating customers for life. So certainly check that out. And if you want more information about the product, go to Incelerate.com. All right, before we get into the conversation, I have a couple of quick updates from the California MBA. As you know, we have uh, our two major uh, conferences coming up this summer and registration is open now for both the Western Secondary Market Conference, which is August 24th through the 26th in Dana Point, and the Western States CREP Conference on the commercial multifamily side, which is gonna be September 9th through the 11th in Las Vegas. Both of those uh, conferences are now open for registration, and this is the best time to register because you'll get the, if you're a member of the association, you'll get the member discount, and if you register now, uh, you'll get the early bird discount. So right now is certainly the best time to register for both of those events. I think for many people to be their first uh, in-person conference experience in quite some time. So I think we're all looking forward to getting back together and, and shaking hands in person. And I'm, I know I am uh, certainly uh, uh, from my perspective. All right. So without any further ado, let's uh, jump into our conversation today. I'm excited to welcome in front of the association, Sandy Schatz. Sandy is of counsel with McGlinchey Stafford in their Orange County offices. Sandy, nice to see you. Nice to be here, Dustin. Thanks for having me. Yeah, yeah, it's great to great to see you. And and uh, Sandy has been a speaker at our legal issues conference before on some of our webinars, and, and certainly is uh, one of the more respected minds in the industry. So, uh, Sandy, maybe for those that don't uh, know you, let's start at your background. How did you uh, how did you wind up as as a litigator, a legal expert in the uh, in the mortgage industry? I think I fell into it when I finished in law school. I did not major in or take courses in mortgage, and I had no idea that I would be a mortgage attorney 
or that such a thing could happen. I joined a firm in Costa Mesa, California out of law school, and I hoped to be in the transaction or real estate group, but when I showed up, I was the last new attorney and all they had left was a space in litigation. So I became a litigator and I began litigating real estate cases, including cases in the mortgage area. And it was most fun, and this is back in the 1980s when we had a different kind of litigation and the documents that we litigated included three-page deeds of trust, two-page promissory notes. It was a whole different era. In 1992, I joined a small financial services firm and represented trustees and lenders, and my biggest client eventually became Countrywide, and I went in-house and started their in-house litigation department in 1998, where I, as an in-house person, hired outside counsel, me, to litigate cases. That was a hard one because when I did really well, I could say, hey, Sandy, you did a nice job on that case. But when things didn't go so well, the conversation wasn't as nice or as pleasant. How could you do that, Sandy? It just, Dustin, I'm sure you can imagine how that worked out. Hey, you got to hold yourself, you know, got to hold yourself accountable, right? I held myself accountable. As Countrywide grew and we expanded, the in-house group expanded. We hired more attorneys to help out. We expanded the group to Dallas. We were expanding the group to Florida. When in 2007 and 2008, the mortgage world as we know it ended, the Great Recession began and all of our work shipped out. So when I began at the company and I handled all of the litigation, eventually passing most of it off and keeping only the mortgage litigation, by the time the Great Recession happened, we had thousands of cases and many, many people supervising them. After Bank of America bought Countrywide, I returned to private practice. And since 2013, I have been a litigation attorney at McGlinchey Stafford, helping open up the Irvine office. Since I was at, at Countrywide and Bank of America working with the in-house team, I began reading mortgage regulations. It was a hobby. And I began especially paying attention to the regulations when the Bureau formed, and I read all of those regulations and now spent a lot of my time in the compliance regulatory world doing regulatory compliance stuff. So at McGlinchey, while I'm in the litigation group and I help them try their cases when they get that far, I'm also in the regulatory compliance group and I spend a lot of time dealing with the current set of mortgage regulations. It's been an interesting journey, Dustin. And to say the least, well, and you know, I'd, I'd uh, you know, give you a hard time about your your hobby of reading, uh, uh, you know, regulatory documents, and but, you know, it's, everyone's got a hobby, so you know, I can't, uh, I can't, uh, I can't throw, uh, you know, rocks at this glass house. So, um, no, you don't want to. Uh, oh, you don't want to do that. I take part in the compliance group in Orange County that Ray Snitchaville has organized, and when I first joined the group, I introduced myself. They're all regulatory regulatory people. They're compliance officers. So I thought I would say, and in my spare time, I read mortgage regulations, and they gave me a resounding boo. They all, these are the compliance people. That's what they all said. So I thought about it and said, and I have no friends. They cheered me on, and I fit right in. It was perfect. Wait, well, hey, you know, points for honesty. Points for honesty. Um, so uh, this last year has obviously been, you know, and it's funny, you, you know, you, the uh, experience you went through in 2007, 8, and and uh, with the Great Recession there, it certainly, I'm sure, you know, gave you some uh, perspective, you know, heading into this last year when, again, the mortgage industry, you know, got, you know, as every industry did, got turned upside down and, and you know, everything we knew was, was uh, changed. 
So, you know, looking back on this last year, both, you know, whether it's professional or, or personal, what would you say is maybe the, the biggest lesson you learned? So the biggest things that we've learned are to, one, take care of the clients. As an outside attorney, we work with many of you, and our goal is to take care of the clients, but also take care of the borrowers. Borrowers, for the most part, want to keep their home. They want to make their mortgage payments. They want to pay their rent. They want to do the right thing. And where they are unable to do so, it's not because they're bad people or don't want to do things. It's because of external circumstances. Early on in the 90s, we had the life happens approach where people lose a job, someone gets sick, someone dies, and the rest of the family has to chip in. And I learned back in the 80s and 90s, if you work with those borrowers and give them a break and help them get back on their feet, they will then become performing borrowers and even refinance with you and become customers for life. In the last year, year and a half, many borrowers who had trouble making their mortgage payments, it wasn't because, ha it's bad, we don't have to make mortgage payments. It was because life happens totally beyond their control. The pandemic hit, some people got sick, jobs fell away, and we were able to work with or help our clients, the mortgage servicers, the lenders, work with these borrowers, and we can all get through it. Right. Right. I think that uh, the industry as a whole, certainly you talk about lessons learned uh, and taking care of borrowers. I think everyone who had gone through the 2007-8 crisis was now, I mean, I think the industry is just the response this last year was, you know, night and day uh, from what uh, what happened just as an overall industry in 2007-8. I mean, I think there were a lot of, the industry is a lot better positioned to provide a lot more assistance this time around than in 2007-8, which is a different circumstance. But I just think to your point, I think everyone saw the opportunity to really take care of borrowers and, and uh, you know, on a long-term basis, as you said, create those customers for life. We also have a different approach. During the Great Recession, it was much more adversarial, and the thrust from investors and government is move along the bad loans, get them out, turn them around. This time around, the approach is different. It's outreach and work with borrowers it's fine solutions, it's minimized paperwork. You may recall the HAMP program, the TARP program, all that took place back in the 2007, 8, 9, 10, 11, where you send off an application to a borrower and ask for supporting documents, and then ask for more supporting documents, then ask for more supporting documents. The original supporting documents are now stale. This time around, we're not doing that. It's way less document intensive, it's more program oriented, And the goals appear to be find a solution for the borrower, transition them from default to forbearance to performance, and make it work. It also doesn't hurt that we're in a rising market, and increased property values hide a lot of problems and deficiencies. So it's not just that a borrower is going to lose their home, but if we do it right, we can help borrowers who have to transition to a non possessory solution to keep their equity or at least have money to start the next phase of their life, they'll get back on their feet and they'll say, yeah, that mortgage servicer helped me out. Let me go talk to them, see if I can get a loan now. That's a great point. That's a great point. Um, so this, uh, as we you know, head into, we're sort of uh, in transitioning out of the, uh, the pandemic right now and things are opening up obviously throughout the country. Um, what do you think, what's your perspective on the most important legal or litigation or even regulatory trend to watch this year? So let's take both of those and separate them out. 
for litigation in the default mortgage servicing arena, I don't want to say there is none. There is none. We have foreclosure and eviction moratoriums and forbearance programs in place affecting more than half of all homeowners who need help. Borrowers who aren't being foreclosed upon or being asked to make payments aren't going to sue. So the litigation trends we're seeing now is how these loans are being credit reported, as well as the follow-on from the Sheen case currently pending in the California Supreme Court concerning duty of care owed by mortgage servicers and lenders to their borrowers. On the compliance side in the default servicing arena, what we're seeing now is how to handle the crush of borrowers who need help in an ever-shifting regulatory environment. For example, last week on Monday, June 28th, the Bureau came out with new mortgage servicing rules further delaying foreclosures. On Tuesday last week, the FHFA came out with a rule saying, even though the Bureau's rule is not in effect until August 31st, for Fannie and Freddie, it's in effect July 31st. Last week on Wednesday, Fannie and Freddie came out with guidance on their flex mods, trying to make them more available. That's just some of the stuff that's been happening. That's only last week, and we have a whole new regulatory environment. Keeping up with this, has been fun. And by the way, we haven't yet talked about not only are the feds active, we have a national servicing practice and all 50 states and the seven US territories all have their own set of foreclosure, eviction, forbearance regulations and requirements. And yet we're tracking that and helping our clients navigate through that. And that's just servicing. On the origination side, while the interest rates are really low and originations and refinances are booming, up until recently, appraisers couldn't or wouldn't go into properties, inspections couldn't or didn't take place. So we were all doing the, okay, I'm appraising your property from my desk 400 miles away. It looks, just smile, wave, yep, okay, that's the right property. It looks really good. Okay, your loan's approved. We have those issues to deal with. So do you think that you mentioned uh, the states? I think that's an interesting uh, interesting point to make. I think so much of the time when we talk about legal or regulatory issues, so much of the focus is on what's happening in Washington. But to your point, I mean, there's 50 states plus the territories that you know all have their own ideas about how you know mortgage regulation should be done. Is there a particular state that uh, you know is more active than another right now? I know California is always you know it seems like uh, leading the way when it comes to activity at the regulatory or legislative level, but is, is California maybe the busy state you see, or is there another one that you're keeping an eye on? From the industry perspective, yes, California is very active. As a California attorney, as part of the California Mortgage Bankers Association, obviously the most important state, because yes, that's the way California is. New York is also engaged in active legislation and legal issues, and they had a whole bunch of statutes proposed that would have just eviscerated the industry this year. Some of them passed, but many of them did not get through. We're watching certain actions take place in Washington and Oregon. Texas is always a hotbed, and we're enjoying Massachusetts and Florida now, too. Okay, things are happening. Legislative sessions are starting and ending, but our focus, at least in my Irvine office, is on California while watching 49 other states and working with our team to keep abreast of it. We're not the only state, but yeah, we're active. Yeah, well, yeah, exactly. Yeah. So California, California, we do our best here in uh, in Sacramento to keep everyone everyone in the state busy, uh, you know, 24-7, it seems like. 
Um, so you mentioned the uh, the Sheen case. Is that maybe the is that the biggest case that uh, you know individual case that you're keeping an eye on right now, or is there something else out there? And maybe for those that don't know, if you can walk us through the important points of the Sheen case and why it's important to lenders. So short version is the Sheen case is the most important mortgage case in front of the California Supreme Court, and the central issue in that case is. I'll word it as how much of a duty is owed by a mortgage lender or servicer to a borrower, particularly in interacting with a borrower who's in default. And does a borrower owe a, is a borrower owed a duty of care beyond the requirements in the note and deed of trust? So is it possible to have a negligence claim when a servicer takes certain actions? And the courts in California are split the courts across the nation are split. Many, many of them are leaning towards the industry position. No extra duty of care is owed. But some courts have said, nope, a duty of care is owed. And many times that dividing line is, does the lender act as more than a lender or merely a lender? So if the lender servicer is acting as a servicer of a, lo servicer of a loan, watching out for their own interest and in trying to originate the loan, service the loan and collect on it, no more should be owed. Some of the courts have said, nope, if you're going to work with a borrower, you owe borrowers heightened duties. Where that came from probably came out of the Great Recession because a lot of people were losing their homes back then. At the federal level, we were watching the Collins case. The most recent one was the U.S. Supreme Court said, nope, the director of the FHFA and the structure of the FHFA is not proper executive agencies need to be controlled by an elected official in this case the president therefore the director of the fhfa is removable the same thing happened with the cfpb last year in the CELA law case so the courts are moving in the direction of accountability we were watching those cases as well there are many other cases we've been watching and have watched for this year but those were the big mortgage cases. We could talk about the TCPA case, and while that's not mortgage, it is financial services. Yeah, the courts are always active. The regulatory environment is always active. We need more hours in the day just to keep up. <laughs> that's for sure. So uh, question, sort of a follow-up on the uh, Sheen case and duty of care. Do you think that we're getting close to a point where duty of care becomes a, an appellate, appellate issue, or are we, you know, to the point where it's becoming a, a ripe case at some point down the road for the Supreme Court? Do you think that's where we're headed at some point? It's already before the California Supreme Court. Are you thinking the U.S. Supreme Court? Yeah, yeah you said the multiple uh, states are and uh, and courts in different jurisdictions are taking an industry position, but who knows where you know California comes down on it. I don't think it's going to be a U.S. Supreme Court issue because it's based on local law or state law. And the states may come out differently. We see that in many other areas. For example, California requires mortgage servicers to pay 2% on escrow. Other states don't have that requirement. There's a current split in California right now as to whether national mortgage servicers have to pay that or are they exempt. But those are there's a difference between state issues and national issues. And I think the Sheen duty of care in the end is going to be and remain a state issue unless when Fannie and Freddie finally get resolved, if they become federal entities, it may become a federal issue. But even though they're federally chartered, they're not really federal entities in this regard. Gotcha. Gotcha. 
So uh, sort of switching topics here a bit, maybe. Um, what uh, what do you think is the most, if I'm a lender out here and uh, listening to this, what, do you, what from your perspective, what's the most underestimated litigation threat to me? From a mortgage servicer perspective, the biggest threat we're facing is when the federal and state moratoria and guidance are lifted. They were just extended at the federal level from June 30 to July 31st and all of the foreclosure and eviction moratoria are removed. Okay, we still have the Bureau's rules, so that goes till December 31st, and the forbearance periods start winding down. We're gonna have a pile of loans that are in default and delinquent. Recall that at the start of the pandemic, a quarter of a percent of all loans nationally were in forbearance. It rocketed up to 8.55% of all loans, and we're now down to 3.91% of all loans in forbearance, according to the MBA's weekly report. I am suspecting that at least half of those will be resolved by the time the forbearance period ends, but we're gonna have a million borrowers who are needing forbearance and not getting it, and those loans will have no more regulatory protection, and we're back to servicing, loss mitigation, default and foreclosure, and that whole pile of borrowers who are not going to go quietly into the night and will litigate just to save their home and have additional rent-free living is going to rise up and servicers need to prepare now for that as well as to how to handle that. I'm also seeing on the origination side, I appreciate that we have essentially zero percent interest and therefore refinances are great, but there's a shortage of properties for people to buy and there's limits to how many times people can refinance those properties and eventually rates are going to go back up, and that confluence is going to put a restriction on the size of originations, and we may see some shrinkage in the industry, and how that shakes out will also be a problem for lenders to work with. Yeah, yeah, no, I think that we're also, I think to your point about shrinkage, I think you also see a lot of a lot more M&A activity. We're seeing a lot of that as it is the last year or so, but I think you're going to continue to see that. Um, so uh, you mentioned we talked about the litigation threat to lenders. What about a uh, anything on the compliance or regulatory side in particular that maybe you haven't mentioned yet that uh, lenders should keep an eye on right now? On the compliance side, for both outside attorneys such as myself and in-house attorneys, it really begins with how can we legally, ethically, and financially make and service loans? That is, there's a set of rules out there I am fairly convinced that this huge plethora of mortgage rules, while designed to help borrowers and keep the industry honest, I don't know that it does. In my own personal experience and in talking with hundreds and hundreds of borrowers, many of them in default positions, but also talking to friends and acquaintances I meet, when they get a loan, they want to know how much can I get, how much do I have to pay every month, and how soon can I get the money? If I ask them what is a till, if I ask them what is the amount financed or the finance charge, they always tell me the finance charge is the interest rate. It's not, okay, it's not, I get that part, but that's what they tell me. They don't understand all these disclosures. I love reading LEs, I love reading CDs, don't get me wrong, it's really great, but when I show them to my wife, for example, who's an engineer, she says, this is nice, why are you showing this to me? And I explain to her, this is what we're gonna pay. She said, that's your job. You read it and tell me what the story is. And she's college educated with a graduate degree. Um, okay, that's where we are. 
it's going to be a problem. So we in the industry, I think, face regulations to keep the playing field level. And our challenge is to make loans that are compliant, but that we can still help our customers and make money while doing it. Right, right. So then if I'm, so I guess maybe as a follow-up to this, if I'm a lender, what's maybe the one thing I can do right now if I'm looking for a, a maybe a practical takeaway from this conversation, what's the one thing I can do right now to reduce my risk, whether that's you know legal or, or uh, regulatory litigation, compliance, what have you? What's, you know, from Sandy's perspective, what's the one thing I should be doing right now? Focus on customer service and make consistent decisions. We say in the compliance rules, the compliance game here, when you make decisions, you want to carry them out uniformly. If you're going to be wrong, and I thank Ray for this, but if you're going to be wrong, be consistently wrong. So when you set your shop up that meets your goals, it meets your policies, it meets your practice, it's important that you serve all customers equally and fairly. And therefore, when decisions and issues come up and you get audited or the supervisors come in and the examiners take a look, your consistent behavior can be defended because you have a good story and you're here to help our customers achieve their dreams. That makes sense. It makes sense. That seems like something you, that uh, you cut down on the exceptions to the rules, then uh, certainly that uh, makes for a, a, a better case if, if and when you're audited too, I agree. Um, so as we uh, close out here, we've got time for one more question here. Um, I know you've been a, a good supporter of the California MBA for a number of years now. So I'd, I'd be curious from your perspective, you know, why is it important for uh, attorneys in the industry, let's say, or firms in the industry to support the advocacy and grassroots efforts of groups like the National MBA and here in California, uh, the California MBA? It's absolutely essential that we do this. It's essential for lots of reasons. Our goals and our job in the mortgage industry is to help our customers, borrowers, obtain reasonable mortgage loans, pay back those mortgage loans, and be able to fulfill their dreams of both home ownership and a stable place to live, raise their families, and live out their lives. Not everyone understands what we do or how we do it or why we do it. And by having a strong voice, both in Sacramento and Washington and elsewhere, we can make our needs and our views known so that when legislation and or regulatory guidance comes down, we can work with those decision makers to say, hey, here's how it works, here's why it works that way, and here's why it's good, and therefore what you're proposing either is gonna be helpful for us and your citizens, your voters, our customers, or why this may not work in this situation, and having more than one or two hundred or thousand people taking this position is very helpful for us to achieve our objectives and our customers and borrowers objectives. Right. Oh, I appreciate that. That makes a lot of sense. Well, hey, Sandy, uh, great chatting with you. Good to uh, good to see you at least, uh, you know, over the uh, over this uh, call here and uh, hope to see you at one of our conferences later this year. And, uh, and if anyone needs to uh, reach out to you or like to reach out to you, what's the best way for them to touch base with you? You can either call me 949-381-5911 or send an email to schatz at mcglinchy.com. Always happy to hear from people and talk about issues. Dustin, thanks for taking the time and it's been a pleasure. All right. You too, Sandy. And if you enjoyed the conversation here, make sure and subscribe to us here on our YouTube channel. You can also find us on SoundCloud, Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and we'll be back again next week for another episode of Connect. We'll see you then. Here we go.